This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast from the 10th of July 2018, a podcast about Apache Hadoop and the surrounding ecosystem for anyone working with or investigating big data and advanced analytics. My name is Dave, and here is my co-host, free of technical debt, Jon. <laughs> I was wondering what you are going to say, but okay, didn't see that one coming. Hi Dave, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. And yourself? I'm good, I'm good. It's uh, 20 degrees outside, well, 26 to be honest, but uh, it's all great, it's all fun. I mean, for you, that's no, no, not a problem, right? I mean, you're coming from Australian stuff. Although it's been a while now, so you must have been well, a kind of yeah. again. Yeah, and it was, it was also, it was their winter, so it was, ah. you know, it, uh, it was time. more like the, uh, <laughs> yeah, more like the sort of uh, 15, 16, 17 degrees. So oh, wow. it's now gloriously, as you say, between... 26 and, and 32 here in the UK at the moment and across most of Europe. So, uh, yeah, really rather nice at the moment. Mm-hmm. But we have a news episode and we have a news episode with a twist because we have a guest. Hi, Ward. Indeed we do. Hello, oh. hello. How, how, how come you're back again? I don't know. I don't know why you let me in again. But, uh, <laughs> he just he just couldn't stay away. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I don't know either. I don't know either, but uh, I'm enjoying it. So uh, thanks for having me again on this podcast. Yeah, as our listeners will know, Ward was with us uh, last episode when we uh, did an in-depth analysis and review of the San Jose uh, Data Work Summit. Almost said Hortonworks Summit. Um, so yeah, people hopefully enjoyed that one and we invited Ward up again for uh, a little news episode. Just uh, kind of Indeed. worked out uh, recording-wise, let's say. And considering we did a two-hour episode last time, let's not waste too much time this time. Yeah, good let's idea. get into <laughs> it. So in that case, I will get started. So my news article is uh, the the wonderfully clickbaity title of 10 Charts That Will Change Your Perspective of Big Data's Growth. It's a title um, word of the Forbes site you got it from. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but the, see, this is the thing, that the title is horribly clickbaity, but actually... I think some of the information that's presented in some of these visualizations is actually quite interesting. Um, so I'm not going to go through every single one of them, but uh, I'll just pull out a few that I think are quite quite interesting. So the first one is um, around different organizations or different industry verticals and the sort of change that you know, big data analytics has made to their core functions. So it's split across um, sort of the, the industry vertical across the top and the sort of division within those verticals um, down the side. And then the size of the dot that that is represented there, this makes for great radio, is, um, is kind <laughs> of do something a, about a small, that. yeah, a small light color for, you know, no or minimal change. A sort of um, a, a mid color for moderate change and a very dark color for significant or fundamental change, and it's just it's organised really by um, by the industry verticals going from least impact to most impact, and I, I just think it's a really a really nice visualisation. It shows, uh, and I would certainly agree with you know roughly where things seem to be responding in terms of basically the the winners from this or the people that have made most um, sort of impact to this are obviously high-tech industries, um, healthcare systems. Uh, the ones that have, have done very little around big data are 
uh, unsurprisingly, at least to me, you know, travel and logistics that really have only used it for sales and marketing and some other pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, public and social sector, again, really only using it for sales and marketing. But uh, it, it's, I think it's really, it's a nice visualization. It certainly matches my my experience and my expectations of, of what I've seen. I don't know what other people think. Yeah, no, it kind of, kind of slightly shows you the penetration in certain verticals. That's a, it's a graph I haven't seen yet. Yeah, I mean, and for me, the, it's it's more about like the opportunity. I mean, the opportunity for many of these organizations is still pretty yeah, pretty yeah. huge, pretty out there. I'm, I'm kind of wondering if they didn't uh, consider IoT to be part of big data because manufacturing is totally at the bottom, while uh, they are heavily into IoT, I would say. Yeah, I t- I I would agree, and I I don't know. I can. I mean, f- for me, IoT and big data sort of pretty much going hand in hand. Yeah. If you're so, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, all I can suggest is that possibly it's not. Um, so this was pub. This the data comes from January two thousand eighteen. So it's quite quite recent. It's quite uh, recent. It also kind of depends on what customers, what, what kind of organizations they ask for. Because I mean, sales and marketing is uh, at the top with a lot, <laughs> no pun intended. Mm. So, but every company has sales and marketing, and if you don't have yeah. that, you don't have a company. Not that many, percentually, have actually their own manufacturing lines. Maybe. So, because uh, there's also a couple of NA not applicable with the yeah. three, the plurality of respondents answers don't know. Yeah, if you don't know, that's probably because you don't have that in your environment. So it might be slightly skewed. And as we've said before, any kind of statistics is based on the data. And uh, if you don't really know what the data is, it's hard to, um, yeah, have a good perception of the the visualization. Yeah. Yeah, and also this is of course. I assume based on averages. So what you see in a lot of, for example, the retail retail sector occurring is that a lot of the traditional companies have a hard time actually uh, changing their core business practices by data analytics. And that you see just a few very successful companies taking most of the market share Mm -hmm. away from those traditional companies. So it's also a Mm. bit skewed in that way i think because you're going to average yeah. out as uh, a significant fundamental change and yeah we definitely see at least i see here in the streets uh, when i go to a shopping mall in the netherlands that there are some some companies that don't really get it and they're they're bound to die <laughs> yeah. or have died recently uh, yes exactly. <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. No, right. I'm, I'm not impressed you you've, you've given us nicer charts than this this is not your best work yet sir Okay, yeah, well, it's, let, let's it's all see blue. We, we need more color. <laughs> okay, well, the, the next one has color. Well, a bit of color. So the next one that I'm going to uh, draw out is the there's a graph showing uh, big data initiatives and their success rate. This one I think is interesting because what they're doing is they're basically yeah. breaking out individual um, components of defining success. And this is, I think, this is really interesting because what they've done is they've split out, you know, decrease expenses, uh, new avenues for innovation, uh, launching new products or services, monetizing big data, accelerating new capabilities, transforming business for the future, and establishing a data-driven culture. All of which I think are really, they're really good things to aim for. I mean, the 
for a big data program to be successful. I think those are some of the key things that you need to be thinking about. Um, And the results themselves um, are roughly sort of uh, most most to least in the order I described them, sort of nearly 50% have managed to um, sort of start a project and receive some form of benefits in in terms of it sort of decreasing their expenses. Um, you know, one of the phrases I often use is big data should be either saving you money or making you money, preferably both. Mm-hmm. And you know, this is definitely reflected in that. And then it sort of there's a fairly sort of gentle curve down to um, establishing a data driven culture, which is you know a bit less than thirty percent of organisations have started and already seen benefits of that. But the interesting thing is that there's around twenty ish percent of people have started all of these things but seen no benefits yet. Apart from this, establish mm-hmm. a data driven culture, which is you know over forty percent of organisations have started to try and establish a data-driven culture and they haven't actually seen benefits from that. And, of course, the remaining percentages are all people that haven't started the journey at all. So, yeah. I think it's... I kind of understand it. Because if you look at the ones where the people have the best best, uh, ROI, let's call it that, those are the most specified, specific goals. I mean, decrease expenses, number on the line has to go down. New avenues of innovation, uh, we're getting obsolete, we need to do new stuff, make some new stuff. But if you go further down, establish a data-driven culture. How do you quote that? How do you quantify that? It's much more fluffy. So we've always talked in the past already that uh, if you do this big data thing, make sure you have a use case that has a clear success factor that you can actually show people, like, we did this, it works, let's do more. And if you don't do that, you will get uh, less result from it. So I do see a little bit of that in this graph. And there's indeed also quite a big part of um, the population that hasn't started yet. So those are probably the companies that I see in the streets and going to die, right? (laughs) Because they're they're really slow to adopt. Yeah. 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 So I I do wonder a little bit about uh, those eh? because it's it's a really significant chunk so for example if you see uh, around the big data initiatives initiatives around launching new products and services uh, which i think is uh, very concrete and relevant Mm -hmm. um, if you see that is that um, around 60 percent so that means that 40 percent did not even start uh, building out new products and services so i really want to understand why is that the case and why is it that it keeps them from doing that um so do you know if uh, the the report also talked about that a little bit i don't i don't know um they do all of the um all of these graphs actually have have a link to the the source and um what it was reported by so you can uh, drill into these at your own leisure later if uh, if any of our listeners uh, find the a particular one here particularly interesting. Yeah, I also think that there's some overlap here because if you look at all of the bars, it would seem like uh, I don't know, 25% doesn't do anything with big data, but it might well be that people are in the blue on the first row 
are in the yeah. grey on the second row and stuff like that. So again, yeah, a bit yeah. hard to to see. But it's the first time I see a craft that shows us failures, or at least failures show us no benefits, which should be yeah. considered a failure, I guess. That's all. Well, I mean, it, it depends whether or not they're. Again, there's no differentiation between like, did they start the project yesterday, or have they been on yeah. the journey two years and they still one. don't no, understand no, it. <laughs> But I, I still think it's an interesting picture. And yeah. I think, Ward, you picked up on one of the things that it, it shows that there's still a lot of opportunity out there. Mm-hmm. There's still a lot of organizations that, we, we, I mean, we're in this business. We live and breathe it. We There's a tendency when you live and breathe a technology to believe that everybody understands it. And it's clearly it's not the case at all. There's still a lot of education to be done. There's still a lot of opportunity out there. All right, so the the final graph that I draw people's attention to on this is all the way down towards the bottom, and that's big data initiatives and success rates among corporations in the United States and worldwide as of 2018. So this one's a little bit, um, it's kind of related to the previous one, but the reason I bring this up is I think this is a lot more difficult to read mm-hmm. and uh, interested in other people's feedback. But essentially what they've done is they've split the sort of the share of respondents uh, as a percentage at one side and then the categories of, of success rates um, through a variety of different lines across advanced analytics and better decisions, uh, improved customer service, decreased expenses, innovation disruption, speed to market, and monetization. And then each of the colored lines depict whether it's a top priority for them, whether it's something that they've started, whether it's something they've got measurable results from, or and then whether they have sort of success out of it. Um, the Okay. Yeah, this is hard. The, yeah, the, the confusing for me is uh, what they did is they connected that all up in a line, uh, yeah. And it seems like there is a trend, but actually those are totally separate yep, exactly. topics. <laughs> yeah, and and that confuses the hell out of me because you see a downward trend, and I was thinking, okay, where's the negative news? But it's actually just different topics yep. that they're talking yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. So despite despite all of this, there's and the the despite the fact that they're really focusing on something, it just goes to show that actually the data may well be valid, but if you can't present it properly then you know it, it's it, yeah. it's a waste of time so I, I mean the results i think are interesting that the, the mm. fact that um you've got 84.1 percent of people are saying yeah they've started a project around advanced analytics and better decisions which you know to me is that that seems to be the fundal, fundamental place where the majority of organizations are started but you know, that and that's that's by far the most sort of significant um, and it's the highest actually mm. for all of the different categories of um, whether yeah. it's top priority started measurable results or exactly success. and that's actually a nice correlation you can see apparently the thing that's being tried the most has the highest success rate and it's the highest priority so yeah. which makes sense because a lot of people doing it so a lot of mistakes are made and being learned from so you accelerate the whole uh, uh, acceptance of the whole thing well if you look at the lowest priority which is the monetization thing well if people are doing it less often they will fail more often because they don't have any use and any how you call that uh, experience with it so yeah, yeah I, I guess you can see it in a in a holistic way that way yeah yeah so yeah, i think it's it's a 
it's one of those things where the the data I think is good. Mm-hmm. It's just the the presentation that's terrible. And there's, there are some other interesting graphs in there, but that's my pick. That's my pick of those ten charts. Yeah, definitely. It always depends on who you're going to show it to. I mean, if you show this to a very to the in crowd, let's say, then they will immediately understand it's because it's what they were expecting. But if you put it on the internet like this for the world to see, eh, nah. Yeah. Still, there we go. Okay. So that's all from my article. So Ward, I think you're going to talk to us about swanky GPUs, aren't you? Yes, more GPUs the better. So there was a recent news because there was the first time in history um, in the top 500 list of supercomputers, there was the, f- the one at the first top spot actually had more GPUs than CPUs. So mm-hmm. that's uh, that's interesting to see. Um, so and what you actually saw that in the latest uh, rankings, fifty-six uh, percent of the additional uh, teraflops of petaflops actually mm-hmm. were a result of um, NVIDIA Tesla GPUs mm-hmm. uh, being added to the supercomputers. So I, I'm I'm wondering here also a little bit: Are they all trying to make money by heavily mining bitcoins? <laughs> or is this actually for some interesting research? So are they actually using deep learning and AI? So that that's something I I don't know. Um, maybe they have this this kind of approach of like okay, well if if we just build some some big ass supercomputers with a lot of GPUs, eh, if we build it, they will come and they they will find mm-hmm. out some some interesting use cases. Uh, but I, I do wonder if that uh, uh, how that is. So uh, because you have, of course, all your kinds of heavy simulations and that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you can definitely uh, leverage GPU acceleration there. I think because you have a lot of operations that you need to do on a lot of data points at the same time. So it's ideal for parallelization on uh, GPU uh, accelerated instances. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I do wonder if their current software that they're using and their current models are already fit for a purpose for gpus but yeah there's only one way to find out and is actually building those uh big uh supercomputers um and well what is clear is that uh gpus at in supercomputers are here to stay mm-hmm. um and uh, what you also saw, and they also mentioned some of the details on the current uh, champ. Um, it is a 93 petaflop. Uh, it's called Sunway Tahu Light. And uh, this um, summit uh, that is powered actually by IBM servers. So each uh, one of the servers uh, of that supercomputer is equipped with two Power 9 CPUs and six V100 GPUs from NVIDIA. So what you will see is that actually the performance from that supercomputer, 95% actually comes from GPU performance. Um, and in total, they have, um, and I think they mentioned, uh, are these GPUs or cores? I'm not sure. But um, there are uh, at least like 30,000 uh, GPUs according to the article. So that's uh, that's huge. That's a lot of Bitcoin. Well, actually, no, because you can't mine Bitcoins on GPUs anymore. You need specific assets for that. But uh, they can be the other guys. Uh, what's, what's the second one? Um, the, the, the one just below uh, Bitcoin, the most uh, used one. That is still being mined on. That's actually specifically made to be built on uh, GPUs. Oh, I, I'm totally not in the market. Dogecoin? <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, come on. I know what it is. Uh, 
We actually have a thing on Azure on that thing. Let me look at that. I'm going to have some, uh, yeah, some keyboard so, typing. But, here. Uh, okay, so so maybe you might, well, don't want to mine Bitcoin, but there are plenty of crypto coins that you can mine on uh, GPUs. Very little, right? actually. Very little. That's the, uh, very little even. Uh, the more you, the thing with the Bitcoin, with the blockchain and Bitcoin thing is that they may have to make it more complicated the more people are mining. So the most yeah. uh, well-known Bitcoins all need ASICs these days. Well, it is good to know because then at least I know that uh, because there's, of course, a lot of uh, government money going into those supercomputers that is not used for mining Bitcoin. That's that's good to know. Well, I wouldn't go that far because... Uh... Ethereum, are <laughs> you thinking of? Yes, thank you. It's such an easy word as well. So yeah, Ethereum was specifically built to counter the Bitcoin dependency on, 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 on uh, FPGAs. And mm-hmm. now... Ethereum also has come to a level of complexity where people are moving toward. I mean, the first ASIC miners for Ethereum have come on the market. So that's also why GPUs have become, uh, the price has dropped a bit. And yeah, uh, yeah that's supposed to happen even more. Yeah, now also with the, the FPGA support on Hadoop, I do wonder if there's going to be some specialized libraries for uh, those crypto coins on, mm. uh, running on Hadoop. I don't think so, because basically a good uh, Bitcoin mining farm is power supplies, very simple motherboards that have at least 18 PCI sockets to put uh, USB uh, graphics cards on it, something like that. (laughs) They're very built to measure these days. It's a business. It's not a hobby Uh, anymore. No, okay. okay. So so, uh, next to no no storage as well. That's the other thing. It's purely it's, it's all about it's all about ASICs and GPUs or whatever, depending on which cryptocurrency you're. But anyway, using. not talking about cryptocurrency anymore because that's not what we do here. What <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you can, No, but we've we've just can, we've uh, just at least tripled the number of listeners just by mentioning yeah. Bitcoin. You know, thirty times in the last five no. minutes. You, you, you can now put blockchain and cryptocurrency in the title of this podcast, so your audience will explode. Well, you, yeah. you can check all of our previous episodes. I kind of, uh, by, I don't know, principle object to putting those terms in our articles. <laughs> <laughs> but coming back to one of your questions there, if uh, GPUs are actually usable by uh, uh, supercomputers or if it's still something that happens in the future. And I've got experience there because when I'm working at uh, Surfsar and before that at Silicon Graphics, I was very much in HPC world. And most of these things are exactly uh, what you call it, embarrassingly parallel, which is a perfect fit for yeah. uh, things like this. And there has been a whole movement going from CPU versus FPGAs who then proved to be too hard to to program and not good enough because uh, Intel CPUs just went faster all the time, so FPGAs kind of never caught on. Mm. GPUs, on the other hand, are a very stable thing, and the thing that NVIDIA actually did with their uh, CUDA uh, the, the, um, uh, programming language libraries, those actually give you a stable platform to be able to iterate without having to redo everything from scratch again. So now I can guarantee you that anything that's going on chemical, for example, where you just match matrix matches of different molecules to see if they fit or not fit, uh, even climate uh, calculations, uh, that uh, that's all very good for a GPU. So I can guarantee you they are very well used there. Okay, well, that, that definitely comforts me. That's, uh, that's good <laughs> to know. Yes, thank but you. I do hate this because... This is the first time, I think, that they actually included non-CPU flops in the calculation. 
Up until today, the flop calculation of the top 500, top 100 was based on the CPU and CPU only. They didn't, uh, didn't add anything from FPGAs, ASICs, or whatever you're using there. I mean, what's next? Mm-hmm. They're going to start putting in the Ethernet cards in there as well, because those also have processing units on them. I, I've got an IPMI connector on my motherboard. Hey, that's also flops. Come on, where's the end? I'm just ranting, sorry. <laughs> it's, it's a slippery uh, slope. I get it. I, yes. I think, I think to, to bring this back on track with big Too data late. and artificial <laughs> intelligence, um, obviously the, the clear parallel here is the ability for um, us to use AI to name the next um, large clusters <laughs> because this is we've already talked about them naming beer and hamsters and paint colors yep. and I think that might have been it mm-hmm. but just just reading out the top 10 here we go so from number from number 10 up to number one we have Cory Trinity Sequoia Titan Pizdaint <laughs> AI bridging cloud <laughs> infrastructure shortened to ABCI oh nice Tianhe 2A, Sierra, Sunway Taohe Light, and Summit. I mean, there is clearly something that AI can offer here. I don't know. I've seen the results of the color naming. I'm not entirely sure we should go there. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it does sound like a full parking lot with bad car brands, right? That's a... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah there's budget ones that, that, that you sort of press on the roof and it leaves a dimple in the roof yeah yeah okay moving actually, on actually related to on. this uh, in, in uh, Berlin and I saw in uh, San Jose as well there was the uh, high performance uh, department of University of Ohio or something like that I don't remember who are actually doing uh, InfiniBand connected Hadoop clusters to do kind of HPC on there so there is a market mm-hmm. for it so yeah <laughs> oh well uh, my turn. Right. Yeah. yeah, tell us right. about your technical debt. Yeah, I'm going to talk about something that nobody knows about, a little thing called GDPR. It's an article by Never Catherine Jarmul on the Medium website called GDPR, a call to remove technical debt from data science. And I wanted to go very much in depth. I got a lot of notes on the article, but I think I won't do it because I won't spend two hours on it. But basically, the main gist of the thing is that GDPR should be an uh, invitation for data scientists to clean up their mess. Because uh, one of the things he says here at the beginning is, uh, for myself, many data scientists, I know some of these new restrictions may be op- made obvious that what we all know, but would like to prefer not to say out loud, we haven't done a very good job keeping track of our data. And that's true. And that uh, gives uh, rise to a lot of uh, yeah abuse, misuse and lost opportunity, I would say. It's a very long article, and she actually goes through the uh, a, a proposal, let's say, of steps you can take to really... Go to your data, um, what you call it, uh, inheritance, uh, fortune, whatever, and start cleaning it up by doing simple uh, steps one at a time, by looking at the data provenance, where it comes from. And you can actually kind of read through this. Now, I have a couple of criticisms as well, of course. It's still me. Uh, at certain points, she <laughs> mentions that things, uh, there are other open source frameworks based solutions uh, for this kind of uh, governance thing. And she talks about Titan, uh, sorry, Titian for Apache Spark and Apache NiFi. She doesn't mention Atlas, which is a bit of a, what? Because she actually is asking for, okay, we, we have all this dispar- disparate, uh, uh, specific for one com- for one environment solution, but we don't have anything holistic. And in my opinion, Atlas is something that could, may possibly yeah. be a nice fit there. So I'm kind of, dis- uh, kind of not disappointed, but surprised that it didn't figure in this article at all. But, I mean, so 
I don't know the the author at all. But I mean, I... The, yeah, the final the final sort of um, sentence is so my fellow di- data scientists, which to me suggests that she is a data scientist, mm-hmm. and I I don't know that I would expect the data scientist to know about Atlas. I would expect more of the the data engineers, um, the infrastructure people to know about Atlas, but the, yeah. the data scientists should just be provided the data True, that they can trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but she does mention a batch knife as provenance repository, which is a very yeah obscure okay, thing, to yeah. be honest. Yeah, you're right. That's, so, that is quite... I mean, if she was just saying uh, Apache Spark and Apache Nifi, okay, but if she goes that deep on that, it, it wonders me. It, it kind of makes me wonder how little Atlas is still known out there. Because I know that when I talk about it, nobody says, oh, yeah, Atlas. It's always, oh, what's yeah. that? So yeah. uh, even with the backing of IBM behind it now, it's still um, still little known there. So we need more, we need more publicity behind that. But anyway, apart from that, the article is actually a fairly nice uh, read if you are in a situation where you're a data scientist and you want to do something with your data, uh, technical depth, let's say. She has some nice uh, steps to do here. But basically it all points down to uh, clean up your mess now and do it in a way that's automated and make sure that whatever you do now can be reused or is used automatically for any data that comes in in the future because... As I've said before, this is uh, GDPR is not one one thing. It's something that's that's there now and it's going to be there for the rest of your life. So whatever you do now, make sure it's something that can keep on running so that everything comes in doesn't make a new mess. Right, right. uh, Go ahead. Yeah, it it sounds also a little bit to me like uh, how you would work effectively with legacy code, right? Uh, So bringing stuff under tests, uh, don't do too much at the same time. Uh, uh, really document, made it, automate it, and uh, step by step. Uh, I, I think it's, a, it's it's some good common knowledge that uh, mm. also is, translates quite well when you work with a lot of uh, legacy applications and systems. Yeah, she also talks about things like uh, the, uh, version control and things like that. So yeah, there's definitely a correlation between the software development and this. And again, a data scientist usually have a bit of a uh, software development background quite often. Yeah, uh, what's also quite interesting that she, uh, I I just skimmed over the article, but she doesn't uh, say, okay, just burn everything down and start over again. That that is, of course, always an option. And that you sometimes, (laughs) (laughs) well, you see that a lot in software development. It's actually, no, 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 no. All our previous mistakes, uh, we need to correct them. the way to do it is not uh, is just to burn down uh, what we built before and we start all over. Uh, and of course, you're going to make a new set of mistakes, but that's all right. Uh, but uh, that this is uh, this is actually what she uh, suggested is I think a very sensible real world practical advice mm-hmm. that uh, makes a lot of sense and doesn't interfere too much with your day to day operations at a company because you cannot start from scratch, right? That that's not possible. Yeah, you can't uh, redo, reset, redo. That doesn't work with this stuff. I mean, you want historical data in the end, right? Um, Another thing she mentions here is something that a lot of people forget when they're talking about GDPR is documentation of other partners or downstream consumers of your processing. Because GDPR also tells you that if I ask you to forget to forget me, you have to make sure that anybody you share the data with also forgets me. And that's your responsibility. So making Sorry, sure. Sorry, who's have... that talking? Sorry? Who's that talking? I, I, I've forgotten who you are. <laughs> How do you mean? <laughs> 
Uh, this is Warren. So you know who I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, blame it on you're my guests. new co-host. You're my new co-host, Warren. I don't know who that other guy was. Why? What's wrong up, with it? Clearly. <laughs> what's wrong with what's wrong with what I'm, what I'm saying? Nothing. It's just that you asked me to forget you, so I immediately did. Ah, okay. You, you totally got me there. I, I thought I was saying something intelligent. My my co-host Dave, who I held, held in his incredible team, seemed to doubt what I was saying, so I was totally thrown for a... No, no, no. Makes perfect <sighs> sense. Wow. Uh, um, you totally put me off my game now. So there's one more thing I'm going to mention here, which is she talks about uh, destroying data when you don't need it anymore. And that's on the one hand in line with GDPR, which says you shouldn't only should only keep your data when you still use it. But on the other hand, most data lakes are built to capture historical insight by keeping all data so you can learn from it. So just but throwing it away when you don't use it anymore, it's a bit of a fine line to decide if you're gonna use it in the future or not. Yeah, but yeah, that, that's that's okay. I mean the the whole the whole point around this is Keeping data that you know you're never going to use is different from keeping data because you think you may want to use. I think that that's the differentiation. Yeah, they're, they're saying that if you're keeping data point. that you have, you know, you know you're never going to use because. Do you ever know you're never going to use well, it? Because we, we, when the big data thing started, we talked a lot about things like Spotify, who were making millions of money on log data, who was who is usually just thrown away by everybody. So the whole thing about the big data world happened because people looked at data that people thought was rubbish and were able mm. to get a lot of gold out of there. So today, the message is different. It's like you have to already have a goal in mind. That's what GDPR actually says. You can only capture yep. data if you know what you need it for, which is not what a typical data scientist would like because when I have that eureka moment, I want to be able to drop back, and I'm not a data scientist, by the way, <laughs> I would want to drop back to other data sources to, 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 to corroborate, to, to, to prove, disprove, whatever. And if you don't have that data, if you delete it, it's gone. Yeah. So um, that's for me, is a bit of a, a hard one to swallow. But uh, the one takeaway, if I may, is uh, the last thing, the hashtag must fix. Whatever you do, do not simply do nothing with questionable data. Make sure you either anonymize or do something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- I think that's that's a good good point. And uh, coming back indeed to what do you do with your historic data? I do think there needs to be a kind of accepted answer uh, around GDPR: what to do, how to be able to store it. Um, do you need to pseudo anonymize? Do you fully need to encrypt it? Do you actually need to throw it away? to be GDPR compliant, because I think there's still a lot of unclarity on, on mm-hmm. that, uh, what the limits are. And of course, as a, as a company, uh, there's some, some big downsides if you're not compliant. So yeah. y- you want to maybe now, because of that's not clear, very be on the, the, the safe side and maybe throw away the data or fully encrypt it. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I would like to see in the future that this becomes a little bit more clear what companies should do with their mm-hmm. uh, uh, with historical data and um, as in a way that it, the answer is not just throw it away and just erase mm-hmm. the disks because that's, I think, not... yeah Like, like you mentioned with the Spotify... Ex- um, Spotify example is is you might need it in the future. Yeah. So, yeah. and uh, I think I know that in the GDPR wording it does talk about pseudonymization, 
it doesn't require anonymization, but it does require that you cannot trace the data back to the person. So it's uh, it's a tough one but of course the dpr also has announced officially i think that they will have kind of a grace period where they will do checks and controls and if you get uh, a, a black mark you won't immediately have to pay the big fine but you will get a first warning and it's not going to be a direct penalty let's say because yeah it's it's a lot of vague terminology in there as well but anyway, since GDPR date has passed and people are not talking about it anymore, I thought I'll throw it out there again to get the conversation going again. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. And because what so is our guest? Our final, Go ahead. Yeah, yeah no. our final article of oh. the uh, of the day is uh, one from Ward. So tell us about uh, big data claims. Definitely. All right. Already the final. Don't yeah. you have more, John? No, yeah, I, I had more, like but uh, Dave told me to throw them away. I couldn't do two-hour episodes. This time. Yeah, they weren't GDPR <laughs> compliant. Uh, he couldn't. He couldn't confirm that he needed them, so he had to throw them away. <laughs> yeah, and anonymize them with a the non-reversible hash, and now I can't understand them anymore. <laughs> mm. still not That's good. All, it's all lorem ipsum right now. Okay, okay. So let's let's uh, then talk about an article that I can uh, still uh, read. Uh, because it's still on my screen and not thrown away and pseudo-anonymized. It's, uh, it actually starts with a nice clickbait title. Everything big data claims to know about you could be wrong. No. Uh, yes. No. Or, or, so, or uh, potentially that means also could be right, surely. Uh, it, it could also be right, yes. The glass is half full or the glass is half yeah, empty. Yeah, I, I agree. It's more clickbait if it could be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, it's actually an article based on a recent study done by um, a guy called, or uh, a woman called Fisher, and some fellow researchers at Drexel University in Pennsylvania of Philadelphia. And actually, uh, there's a Dutch element as well, because uh, the University of Groningen in the Netherlands, they also contributed to this study. And uh, what they did was they tried to use statistical models to compare data collected on, uh, in this case, hundreds of people, including healthy individuals and some folks with disorders ranging from depression and anxiety to even post-traumatic stress and panic disorders. And uh, the thing they found out was, the uh, because you would think that the bigger the sample of uh, the amount of people that you're going to co- collect data on, uh, the better the outcome is. And what was interesting is that in this study, the results, they actually showed consistently what's true for the group is not necessarily true mm-hmm. for the individual. So that's something you would expect uh, because um, that's also what a lot of folks are trying to do, like the Facebooks in this world. They try to learn from you. They try to per- personalize based on your behavior. But if you look at the behavior of the group, um, apparently uh, it doesn't mean that it tells you uh, how it is with the individual. So, for example, um, in the article, they mentioned that a group analysis of people with depression, uh, we've, they found that they worry a great deal. But the same analysis was applied to each individual of that group. And there, the researchers actually discovered uh, quite wide variations, uh, ranging from zero worrying to agonizing well above the group average. So there showed that the group uh, the stuff they the conclusions they drew from uh, based on the group uh, they couldn't really trace that back to the individual 
So that was, uh, I think, interesting, especially nowadays when you see a lot of this uh, type of big data uh, statistics being used to make decisions uh, for individual persons. Yeah. I, mean, did, yeah, I, I wonder about this because to me, what it suggests is that you know what you would typically call segmentation has has not been done mm-hmm. to enough you know a high enough degree of granularity and i mm. i don't know i obviously haven't read the full study so don't know to what level of depth they went to but it usually the way that it ends up doing is you end up finding patterns so like within that group of people that are depressed the sh- there's usually groupings within that, and obviously there are individuals within that within that that may well fall outside those groupings. But usually, if you if you drill down enough, you'll find some forms of correlation. So I I I kind of uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. I I'm not sure. I believe that they that either they've gone deep enough or that. Um, that they may have missed the the point, but I think that's yeah. less interesting than the fact that this article is called "Everything Big Data Claims to Know About You Could Be Wrong," yet the the scientific article it's based on is called "Lack of Group to Individual Generalizability Is a Threat to Human Subject Research." <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice implication. Just yeah, which is just catchy. Yeah, I gotta yeah. go. <sighs> Maybe maybe they should have mentioned Bitcoin or something. I don't know. Blockchain. Uh, and I've got some problems here as well because they're doing wrongs. My, my data scientist uh, gene pops up. I have one of those. Uh, one classification will never work on the individual. It's always about grouping and classifying. Mm-hmm. There will always be outliers. That's that's a non-issue. That's always going to happen. Two, they're using statistical models, which for me means limited features, which means. Uh, yeah. No machine learning, which means, in effect, they didn't go, well, you said not deep enough. I would say not wide enough because there's a yeah. reason why person one in that expression group was happy and person two was not happy. And the reason was one of those other possible features out there. Yeah. So their data set was not wide enough. So basically, yeah. it's, a, it's, it's the whole it's correlation one, is not causation. Is one depressed but very rich, therefore exactly. still quite happy? Or is one depressed but very poor, therefore crippled by fear? Uh, age, uh, experience, yeah. environment. There's a lot more things in there. And again, maybe the bigger uh, the article has more information there. But this is, for me, this is a data quality problem. And you will never be able to have, again, machine learning and statistics definitely will never be able to predict the individual. That's not what it's built for. And uh, in that point, the, the title is actually correct. Everything big data clo- knows about you, the singular you, is wrong, probably. Because you have been generalized to a very large degree. Yeah, but exactly. Again, and, and that's you say, also it depends you, on the features. One at a time, people, one at a time. <laughs> okay, Ward, you go first. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, and, and that's actually uh, their recommendation as well. So maybe they're, they're rediscovering the wheel here. Uh, that's something that is maybe also very well known already in the data science community, but maybe not so much in the um, scientific scientific community uh, around uh, yeah, that's uh, that still- kind of stuff. But um, uh, so, but um, in, in medical 
Metasol and social science, so for example. So uh, one of the things they see as an advantage of uh, the modern technology, so I, I'm assuming they're meaning big data technologies, that it allows us to collect many observations per person mm -hmm. relatively easy. So we shouldn't use those uh, generalizations because we have all the capabilities to track individual persons and to really personalize the suggestions and the insights based on the behavior of a single person and not so much uh, on a group level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and basically that's also the reason why machine learning was invented in the first place, because in statistics you can only go to that many features at a certain point, your Excel sheet does, just doesn't scale anymore. <laughs> and machine learning is just a thing that allows you to have it, uh, give it a gazillion features, and the system itself will be able to determine which of the features actually have a positive uh, effect on the model that you create. That's uh, probably one of the, those new technologies they're talking about there. So unfortunately, yeah. we'll we'll never know the detail because uh, it's, it's ten dollars if you want access to the full raw document. Oh no, paywall! <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we've never. <laughs> That's why they ne needed to go with such a clickbait article just yeah. to make sure they uh, they That's get the ten dollars for folks, right? Yeah, That's right. Disappointed actually, because Berkeley that Berkeley's a prestigious thing. I mean, a lot of the EDX uh, courses I follow uh, yeah. from other Berkeley, yeah. so they have very high quality usually. So this is, um, yeah, oh well. They can't all be uh, pearls. So much wine. <laughs> sure, maybe. <laughs> anyway, let's look at the time here. We're well over half an hour again, so uh, any last words from uh, you, Dave? Nothing else from me. I'd like to uh, once mm -hmm. again thank Ward for joining us on this uh, Roaring News episode. Thank you for graciously spending some time with us. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me. Well, don't tell us it's a pleasure. We may invite you again. Anyway, <laughs> that is all the time we have for today. We hope you enjoyed this serving of Bite Size Big Data. We will be back next week with a new episode. Until then, please go to www.roaringalpha.org where you can find more information, including a feedback form. You can also follow us on Twitter using the Atadoopcast tag where I from time to time post something. And you can contact us by email to podcast.roaringalpha.org. Send us any thoughts, comments, criticisms, and other feedback you may have. Until next time, my name is John. And my name is Dave. Hey, and Ward is here, also here. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> and Dave and me are looking forward to talking to you next week. Bye. See you then. 